Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for the Washington Commanders. Every game can be heard here in Richmond on the Odyssey app. Either 910 The Fan or if the Squirrels are playing, and hopefully there's going to be a playoff baseball game coming up uh, later this week or next week. And so the Commanders will be on WRVA 11.40 a.m. with a full two-hour pregame show and a two-hour postgame show as we are Richmond sports leaders here at Odyssey. And it's time to go around the NFL on NFL Hits. Every regular season matchup, every head coach on the hot seat, the hit stories in the NFL, NFL Hits on A1 Radio. And I want to bring on Michael Phillips, MP on the mic, can be heard Monday through Friday from 10 to noon. Michael, what's going on, bud? Give me some great games this weekend. Ravens, Bengals. I think that's going to be a lot of fun like tonight. Viking, Vikings, Eagles has potential. It's a good week. It really is. And I want to start with this topic I found online around the NFL. Uh, it was an article that had the most overpaid player for all 32 NFL teams. Can you guess who they chose for the Commanders? Man, we were close to it being Curtis Samuel, but I think he's right at the ship. Is it Charles Leno? They went with Logan Thomas. Well, he's not making. He's eight million. Eight million, and that's a lot for a tight end. I, it's, I to me, you got to hit double digits to be in crazy territory. Now, on a per drop basis, that was two million per dropped ball on right. Sunday, and that was the issue. Is that yeah. you know he didn't live up to the money week one. Is it something that you're concerned about, or will he bounce back? I'm, I'm hesitant. I was beating the Logan Thomas drum all offseason. He's a tight end. This offense loves tight ends. Eric Bieniemy loves a tight end. I'd love to see a little more Cole Turner mixed in this week. I think everybody's very excited about Cole Turner, about what he brings to the table. It Give him some opportunities to win that spot away from Logan Thomas. Logan knows the score. It's a competitive league. If you can't get the job done, somebody else needs to get the job done. But I'm not tossing him aside just yet. I'm giving him a shot at redemption. And I think his line looks a lot better if the play in which he got a first down and then John Bates got called for what was it pass interference or holding he did if that play stands it looks a lot better from Logan Thomas I told you I watched the film last night he still played a decent game the drops were decent throws I, I think he you know he's rusty he hadn't played in a long time he's not Kadarius Tony he's not you know he's he's not like everybody's booing him or anything he, he's got room to go nobody loves John Bates like an offensive coordinator deciding on his personnel package that's just full like rom-com movie style like hearts going out of their eyes like oh, I can get John Bates in there we got to get John Bates in there John Bates man they offensive coordinators love them some John Bates so one of the biggest surprises of the opening weekend was the Minnesota Vikings losing week one to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Vikings play tonight, and this is something to keep an eye on tonight for Thursday Night Football, Michael. Are the Vikings defenders tipping their plays? Baker Mayfield thinks so. Rashad White was on the Buccaneers radio network earlier this week, and he said this, all right, quote, I just remember Baker came into the locker room at halftime. He said, I got it. We got all their signals. We're in there talking as an offense, and he's like, I know all these signals. If they do this, they're going into cover two. If they do this, they're going into cover three. Every time I alert this and they do this signal, they're dropping back to this. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I was just listening to him, and we were listening to him, and we all just kind of understood. 
Baker Mayfield football savant. Who, yeah. Who would have thought it? I like, didn't have that on my bingo card. <laughs> we, you said we're talking about a quarterback next week who figured out all of the opponent's signals. It would have taken me a lot of guesses to get to Baker Mayfield. Yeah. That's a sign you need new signals, by the way. Oh, that, yeah. That's a sign. Is there a little laziness <laughs> setting in at Vikings training camp? Like, all right, we're going to have the season. We'll get to the playoffs. Because the only thing that matters there is what happens in the playoffs yeah. now. A little bit, of, a little bit of maybe training camp laziness. Week one, week two, laziness setting in. I and by the way, Detroit coming on strong. Packers with 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 Jordan Love. Jordan Love looked sharp enough. I don't think it's a given. You're going to just win that division outright this year. Maybe time. Maybe a little wake up call is not the worst thing in the world. Do you know who the Vikings defensive coordinator is? Because I didn't until I just looked it no, up. No, hit, hit me with some knowledge. Brian Flores. Brian Flores. All right. Former Dolphins yep. head coach there. Uh, and remember, so Kevin O'Connell replaced the Vikings longtime coach that was a defensive guy, mm-hmm. right? So they bring in offense. Maybe the defense is slipping a little bit. I mean, you look back to that game against the uh, Bucks, and the offense was fine. I mean, they had the terrible turnovers, and that's what really cost them. But the defense gave up 20 points to Baker Mayfield. The story of Kirk Cousins' life, he, he's essentially the Mike Trout of the NFL. Kirk Cousins threw for three touchdowns and 340 yards as the Vikings lost 28-27 yesterday. Yeah. He, he, very, very little of the Kirk Cousins narrative has anything to do with Kirk Cousins as a player, and it's a lot more the teams he's been on. I mean, back to those dog poo Redskins teams he was on, and now on to the Vikings, obviously, where the defense hasn't been able to give him a break. It, that's If I were the Vikings... I would seriously try to trade him to the Jets right now. I I, I know uh-huh. he I know he didn't want. I I would seriously consider getting him to the Jets because I I just don't think you have a good enough team to win the Super Bowl. You, you get that salary cap they space. They won't off. do that because of relationships. They will definitely not do that. Yeah, they, they, that is a hard no on that. That is that. a relationship there where QB and head coach love each other. That is not they going really to happen do. in any way whatsoever. The big story in the NFL though is Aaron Rodgers, who confirmed last night. That he is not retiring while channeling his inner Harvey Dent. So here is what Aaron Rodgers said on Instagram. He said, thank you to every person that has reached out, called, texted, or DM'd, connected through a friend, etc. It has meant a ton to me. I'll try to get back to you all soon. I am completely heartbroken and moving through all of the emotions, but deeply touched and humbled by the support and love. The night is darkest before the dawn. And I shall rise yet again. No one cared who I was before I put on the helmet. Yeah. I mean, so here's my question. Is Aaron Rodgers in bed watching movies with his foot wrapped? Or is he in bed smoking pot with his foot wrapped? I don't see why they're mutually <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a little of column the night A and a little is before dawn and I shall rise again. I didn't have Aaron Rodgers quoting Ernest Hemingway. The quote, night is always darker before the dawn and life is the same the hard times will pass and everything will get better and the sun will shine brighter than ever. What I learned from Hard Knocks this year is that Aaron Rodgers has an encyclopedic movie knowledge. Yeah. Like front to back. He, he was like showing clips for the team. Yeah. He's also very intelligent. Like yeah. street smart. I really think so. I, I I think he's a really bright guy who has some very crazy and out there perspectives. I mean, he hosted Jeopardy. Right. He, he's not dumb. Right. Now, Jeopardy made the very right move by not... <laughs> hiring him to be the host of Jeopardy because that, that would have gone really off the rails once yeah. once he went really off the rails. Yeah. But he was right there. I mean, he, he's he's up there. He, he knows his stuff. So what do you think? Is he going to be all right? I believe he'll come back next season. There was just never a thought in my mind that he would retire because nobody wants to go out with an injury, especially not Aaron Rodgers. 
I think he'll come back. I don't know that he'll win a Super Bowl again. Yeah. I think he'll come back and make a playoff appearance. It's tough. It's really tough to come back from the Achilles, and especially when you're that old. This this guy right here may be one of the biggest Zach Wilson haters on the planet. I'll, I'll admit the bias here. One nice thing, he's not coming back to a quarterback competition. Like there's 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 not gonna be any like, well, we won last year with this guy. Like, do we do we bring Aaron Rodgers back? There's not gonna be any of that. You're not gonna have to worry about that. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I just think, look, Aaron Rodgers wants to go out on on his own terms. It's a, it's as simple as that. It, 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 it's such a tough way to go out, and he was feeling good. You could tell in all those interviews, he, he kind of had a new life, had a new bounce to his step, and this is just going to give him more haters and more people who say he can't do it, and that, that seems to be what fuels him. That, that was kind of the end of the Packers' relationship, right? Like, he felt like, you know, he needed that fuel of, like, the Packers don't think I can do this anymore. They drafted <laughs> Jordan Love. He, he needs that. He's got so much of that in the fire coming in next year. I agree with you. I, It's hard to see a 40-year-old quarterback coming off an Achilles tear winning a Super Bowl. That's a that's a reach. Uh, but but cue, cue that up. Play it for him between movies. He, he feeds on that stuff. Thursday night football, 8-15, Minnesota. At the link, facing off against the Philadelphia Eagles. Last week's Thursday night game was on TV. This week, Dad, if you're listening, it's on Amazon Prime Video. You need a smart TV, and you need to talk into your remote and say, play Prime. I I am the last person in America who who does not have Amazon Prime. Oh, no. Like, when I order something from Amazon, it's like, yeah, we'll get it to you in 17 days. <laughs> like, don't, don't be waiting outside. Um, they put it on Twitch, though. Oh, they did. They do. They put it for free on Twitch, but you got to get all the little Twitch graphics and things oh, yeah. and everything. I, I think I tipped Kirk Herbstreet at some point last year. <laughs> you know, they, they 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 put it on there though, so I, I'm in. I'm in. I'm ready. Uh oh, not another tipping story. Oh no, we can't. Uh, not not in Richmond right now. Uh oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> tipping is hot in Richmond right now. It might be the hottest term around. Tipping it in, tipping it out. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan now and 105.1 FM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan now at 105.1 FM. Just out from John Kime, Eric Bieniemy at the podium. He said, quote, we need Sam to be at his best. He was at his best and made plays for us. Guys will struggle and have bad moments, but that's why we practiced the way we practiced. Everything won't be perfect, but the only thing you have to do is be the best team over 60 minutes. So I did my film review last night, watching the all 22 different angles of the Commanders against the Arizona Cardinals. It's time for AY's Film Review here on the Richmond Commander. It's time for the Richmond Commander. Are you ready for the phones are open. It's your chance to be the quarterback of this segment. There's something I like to say. Every day at 1 p.m. on AWOD Radio, the Richmond Commander. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. During my film review, if you want to chime in, give me your thoughts on Sam Howell. It's easy, 833-804-0910. Here are a few themes I noticed, Christopher, and then I'll break it down fully. Theme number one, Sam Howell was up and Sam Howell was down. It was a roller coaster of a game for Sam Howell in his first start to the 2023 season. The defense was strong pretty much throughout the game. Uh, great at bend but don't break and got the turnover when they needed it. 
You know, they always say sex sells, but the last few drives for the Commanders were not sexy at all. They were just effective. 18 runs to two passes. So here is AWOD's film review from the Commanders' 20-16 win over the Arizona Cardinals. The first two drives, Howell looked really good out the gate. He was accurate. He was getting the ball out quick. Problem, Logan Thomas let him down on two occasions, but then he made up for it in the middle of the field of the catch and got Sam some rhythm. McLaurin burned his man on a uh, pass interference, and that was huge for Sam's confidence there on one of those opening drives. The offense, I felt like, looked good. When you talk about the difference that Eric Bieniemy makes, it's guys going in motion. I loved the run to Curtis Samuel. Here's why I loved that run after watching the film. It was Curtis Samuel in the backside backfield alongside Brian Robinson Jr., who was the lead blocker on the play for a six-yard run. I don't see how that's not six yards every time because Brian Robinson Jr. loves to hit people. Howell with a nice play, keeping it alive right after that, was able to find Robinson for the touchdown. That capped off a great drive by Howell. Honestly, that was his best drive of the game. It was the same drive in which he got hit in the head. Wow, that shows what type of a gamer he is. Defense lost his focus after the touchdown drive, lost gap control on the film. You could see Arizona had four explosive plays. It was very reminiscent of the 2022 season against the Detroit Lions week two where you had so many big plays on one drive. Luckily, Zach Ertz dropped the touchdown pass, but it really could have been 7-7. Honestly, defense got burnt all drive um, for the Arizona Cardinals there. You spread us out and you can beat Washington. You crowd the box, and Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat will eat you up all night, and you won't get any yards. That's the biggest thing I noticed there from that drive. Commanders get the ball back. It's 7-3, to three, and they tried to take a deep shot on first down. Howell had to get out and escape uh, and ended up getting just one yard on the play. Flags would then back the drive up, and that was kind of a theme that I noticed as well. It was... Howell is not good enough, and, and so many quarterbacks around the league, not named pa uh, Patrick Mahomes, are not good enough to make up for a holding or pass interference. After that, Howell forced a pass. It was his first interceptable ball of the day. I noticed four interceptable passes on the day for Howell. Look, this was a stat that we tracked last year with Taylor Heineke. It's only fair that we track it with Sam Howell as well. That was his first inter uh, interceptable pass of the day. I did like, not like his decision to force it to Logan Thomas. He was throwing to Logan often in the first half. Uh, very next play, like I said, you started to notice Howell's confidence go down after the flag. He had the interceptable ball. Next pass was his first interception of the season. And you could see how he went from best drive of the game to worst. And I think part of that's on how. Part of that's on Eric Bieniemy. He opened up the playbook and allowed Sam to look at taking a deep shot. What happened? Sam Howell hold, held onto the ball too long. I will give him credit. The next play to Logan Thomas was nice, but a penalty brought it back, and that's when he started forcing it because a first and 20 situation is so tough for a young quarterback. He's thinking, man, I'm behind in the sticks. I got to make a play. At that point, your QB becomes a liability. He's too young, and his decision-making at this level hasn't been tested enough. He's going to falter in decisions and situations where he's facing third and long, first and long, second and long. How do we fix this? The team, the individuals, all of them on the field, the coaches, all need to work together to keep Hal from these situations. 
Don't get pass interference. Don't get called for holding. Don't have a false start. All right? Don't get, don't let your man get beat and then you, Sam Howell gets sacked. All of those things put the offense behind the sticks, and that is what I noticed is when Sam Howell is at his worst, behind the sticks. Arizona gets a field goal at 7-6. Washington gets the ball back, and I'm thinking, how do we calm Sam Howell down, right? How do we calm him down? Eric Bieniemy had the answer. Hand it off. Nice run by Robinson. Another run by Robinson. Robinson's picking up first downs by himself. After a few runs, Bieniemy set up Howell in the single back. All right, and if you're listening right now, this was the play call of the game by Eric Bieniemy. Washington's up 7-6. to six. The offense is having some success running the ball to Brian Robinson Jr. In comes Antonio Gibson. It's a play action to Gibson. Great protection. McLaurin ran a post route and is gone. Completely burned his man. I'm watching this replay three times trying to figure out what Sam Howe was thinking. The answer, he didn't have the confidence to throw deep. He held on to the ball. I don't know what he was waiting for. Terry had a step on his man. You know what he did? He ran for one yard. Howell had the chance to hit the home run ball there. It came after his worst drive of the game, right? Where he had the interception and he had the bad throw to Logan Thomas, the other interceptable ball. And I think he was scared to take that deep shot. It was an incredible play call by Bienemy. McLaurin was wide open for six points. Hal just didn't throw it. I will give Hal credit. Next play, he would hit McLaurin in the middle of the field for 20 yards. It was a great throw. And at that point, he started getting the confidence again. He's feeling it. Makes his best throw of the game to Cole Turner. You all remember that play if you watched the game. Cole Turner steps back in the pocket, moves up, hits Cole Turner. It was very impressive. And on review, I felt like that was a turning point in this game, right? You miss a deep shot to McLaurin. You blew an opportunity to go up 14-6 and put this game maybe to bed early. But then you hit McLaurin in the middle of the field. You hit Cole Turner. Howell's starting to gain some confidence. His confidence, I feel like, is going to be a roller coaster this season. Uh, because you know what happened? It's a theme of the film review for week one. Every time we go up, you must come down. He makes his best throw of the game to Cole Turner. What happens the very next play? They hand the ball off to Antonio Gibson in the red zone. Fumble! Fumble. I mean, that's the pattern I noticed throughout the film review. Anytime he has his best throw, the next play, it's the worst play. And it's not always his fault, right? It's just best to worst, up to down. Got to be tough for Eric Bieniemy to manage that, especially, like I said, when somebody else lets the team down, right? It's not like Sam Howell fumbled the ball. It was Antonio Gibson on that play. It was a penalty on the drive before. They cannot afford to have mistakes like that, especially in the red zone. That was a major turning point. Defense was able to get the hold there. Uh, great drive by the defense. Anytime a play broke down and you thought maybe Arizona was going to get some yards, some defender would step up, get a pass deflection, or they would just force Dobbs to make a terrible pass. Washington would get the ball back, and when the play breaks down, I noticed that Howell's first tendency is to run rather than throw the ball away. And that's why I credit him for a few of the sacks that we noticed. Six sacks. I would credit four of them on Sam Howell. He just has a tendency to move around in the pocket and try to make something, rather than just throw the ball away. Just live to fight another down. Um, I also think it's, it's worrisome because that's how he could get hurt. That's how he could get hurt. That drive in which Howell was kind of running for his life after the defense got a stop, Ended with another bad throw behind Terry McLaurin. That was interceptable ball number two 
of my film review. Washington would get the ball back and have a very successful drive. We'll break that down further after this quick commercial break. You're listening to AWOD's film review for week one, Washington against the Cardinals. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for the Washington Commanders. All of the games can be heard here in Richmond on the Odyssey app. This Sunday will be on WRVA 1140 AM as the Squirrels season is still ongoing. So the Commanders defeated the Cardinals 20-16. Sam Howell 19 of 31, 202 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He also ran for a score, but six sacks, suffering 46 yards in losses on those sacks as we continue AWOD's film review for week one here on The Fan. So the biggest thing that I noticed was when Washington let Howell throw the ball, he really does prefer to throw it inside the hash marks, all right? He starts the next drive with a great throw across the middle to Jahan Dotson. I mean, a bullet. A laser beam. And I'm thinking to myself, he can hit these middle throws with ease. That's his hot spot. It's like he can hit uh, he can hit the middle of the dartboard. Boom. Bingo. He can hit the bullseye. I'm just not sure he can hit the triple 20s, right? Can he hit the passes outside of the hash marks? He's really good inside of the numbers. Uh, that's the one thing I noticed for sure after this film review. Curtis Samuel... I thought was involved a lot after watching the game uh, on replay because of how good the defense did of covering Dotson and McLaurin. I mean, it was like Sam Samuel was getting himself into matchups where he could take advantage of being in the slot or take advantage of a safety up against him or even a linebacker, whereas Dotson and McLaurin had the number one corners on them at all times. Uh, it was at that point when... You had Sam Howell have his third interceptable ball of the game. Richmond's own Kayvon Wallace jumped a forced pass to Cole Turner. Howell loves his tight ends. The Cardinals were reading it. The theme continues, right? From good to bad, from bad to good, from terrible to amazing. He bounces back from a bad turnover. He bounces back from a bad pass, fires a 30-yard pass to Curtis Samuel on a bullet. I mean, just hits him in stride. It was one of the most incredible passes I've seen a Washington quarterback make in the last 10 years. The offensive line would then have a bad couple of series. And at that point in the film review, I noticed the weather was definitely a factor. When you're watching the game live from your TV, you didn't really notice that it turned into a monsoon. Uh, you could see that on the replay. Howell would also hold on to the ball too long. He was waiting for people to break open downfield, these longer developing plays. When you had guys open for three or four yards, Robinson would then drop a screen pass, and that could have been a game-changing play. I mean, the momentum would have shifted completely because Robinson dropped the screen pass, and it almost landed into the Cardinals' hands for them to walk into the end zone for another touchdown. The defense at that point, though, for Washington would change the momentum for us, right? It, it was so crazy watching the replay. You nearly have a back-breaking turnover, right, with Howell's, Pass to Robinson being high, and it goes in and out of his hands amidst the wet conditions of the field. 
Arizona almost gets a great interception. What happens? Washington punts, and the defense for Washington changed the momentum. You had the three straight plays that everyone's been talking about, which was the Deron Payne tackle for loss, the Jonathan Allen tackle for loss, and then the Montez Sweat sack fumble. And just like that, Washington would get the ball back with Hal giving a short field. This was when Washington would go away from the sex appeal of throwing the ball downfield and keep it short and simple. 18 runs to two passes from there on out as Washington would go on to win the game. Robinson became such a good power back, and it feels to me like anytime there's a hole, it's a six-yard carry. Now, red zone issues were huge last year. Washington gets the ball back in short field. Couple runs to Robinson. Boom, they're right into the red zone. This was a major red zone trip. How had Logan Thomas um, going to his right, but he decided to run to his left. He went left all game. That was something I noticed, and I think fans of the team should n take a look at this weekend against the Broncos. When Hal is rolling to his left, it was successful. When he was going to his right, it was not. He ends up rolling to his left, not finding anyone open, scrambles into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. Washington would get the ball right back. And you're thinking, run, 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 right? No. One more pass. And this was an interesting one because this was another play where I think it could have easily been a game-losing backwards pass fumble return for a touchdown. Howell drops back and throws it to Robinson, who makes a sick one-handed snag. A great catch. I think it was a game-saving catch. I seriously do. Because... The pass was going backwards. If Robinson drops that, it's a live ball. Fumble Ruski on the field. And the Cardinals could have easily picked it up and won the game. Next play, the screen to Gibson. The play everyone's talking about. The get off the field play turned. Maybe he got it. Turned the unsuccessful challenge play. Even though he definitely got the first down. I don't know how the NFL botched that. I had to put that in my film review. The NFL owes Washington one first down because, gosh dang it, they got it completely wrong on that Gibson play. Washington gets the ball back after a defensive stop. It's run, 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 field goal. They did not trust Howell. And after watching this review, I said to myself, you should not either at this point in the game. I it, Look, just because I'm saying you can't trust Howell doesn't mean he can't win games. I just think there's points in a game where a coach needs to decide, hey, I don't think you can trust the quarterback right now to make this throw, so you know what? We're just going to run the ball. We're playing with a lead, and we have a great defense. It's not the first time that this has happened in the history of the NFL. When you have a great defense and you're playing with a lead, you just don't force it. You don't want to have the back-breaking mistake. And I think the enemy saw what I saw in the review. That backwards pass to Robinson could have been a nightmare. The commanders would go on to run, 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 and then the defense would get the final stop of the game to get off the field, stopping Josh Dobbs on fourth and ten with the rookie Emmanuel Forbes making an incredible pass breakup. And so that was AWOD's film review for week one of the Washington Commanders. Now let's get to our expectations for Sam Howell against the Denver Broncos. I'm expecting him to increase his yards per game from 202 in week one to get around the 240 maybe even 250 mark uh this week i think he would have gotten there if it wasn't for the sacks and the gibson fumble as well as his own turnovers the fumble and the interception and um i'm also going to look at his 
completion percentage. 19 of 31 and a QB rating of 41.5. I also think that improves against Denver because, look, it's going to take him time, and he's going to watch the film, and he's a smart learner. You know, he, uh, Eric Bieniemy called him Mr. Autocorrect in the offseason, and I love that. I don't think he's going to make the same mistake twice. The mistake of holding the ball too long. The mistake of forcing it downfield when you have guys open underneath. I expect the offense to be a lot more of quick hitters against the Denver Broncos this Sunday. I think they can put up 26 points. Scored 20 week one and would have had more if Antonio Gibson doesn't fumble in the red zone. And so I want Sam Howell to have... Less than 31 attempts, though. I want more runs. I want you know you had 19 carries for Brian Robinson. I want about 24 carries for Robinson, a few for Gibson, a few for Chris Rodriguez. Sam Howell to run on his own. Curtis Samuel to get a, a run or two. And I want less than 30 attempts for Sam Howell this game. We can win the game without letting him, you know, go out and sling it all over the field. Like I said, he can hit these passes inside the hash marks. All day, the 20-yard slants, the post routes, uh, the you know up and in routes, the 18-yard comebacks. He had a great pass to Jahan Dotson uh, that a lot of people were talking about on social media. He can hit the passes in the middle of the field. It's when he kind of tries to keep the ball alive and keep his feet moving in the pocket and he's running around, running into no man's land is where he gets himself in trouble. Drop back, let it go, slinging Sammy Howell. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new Sports Radio 910, The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. We'll go around the ACC with Mike Barber next on The Fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new Sports Radio 910, The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Richmond's home for VCU basketball. Every game can be heard right here on 910, The Fan. Love working alongside Robbie Robinson and Rodney Ashby. I do pregame and halftime, and during the basketball season, you hear this voice all the time. It's Ed Nixon. What's going on, Ed? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, I had to get you into the building because you, you're my kind of like go-between between like the journalist aspect of things and a guy that was a former player. And this story that came out yesterday involves a current player on the VCU basketball team as VCU's Joe Bamisil released a statement after his attempt for a waiver to play this season for the Rams was denied by the NCAA. Here are the words of Joe Bamisil. He said, quote, I am very sad to announce that the NCAA denied my waiver to play basketball this year at VCU. From an outsider perspective, I am another collegiate student athlete moving from school to school. In reality, I transferred home to VCU because my father had open heart surgery and since has survived two major life-threatening scares this past year. The NCAA approved my waiver to participate at Oklahoma because my previous institution, GW, I struggled with severe anxiety and self-isolation, and I needed a new environment to address my health, mental health challenges. He went on with a, a very heartfelt, basically four-page post. Did you get a chance to read it, Ed? I did. I did. How would you react to that, man? It's a situation where it really uh, is unfortunate for Joe. Um, I met him. I've talked to the coaches about him. I've even spoken to some of the, the Richmond locals who've seen him in high school. I get the same report. Really good kid. Extremely hard worker. He's a gym rat. Um, and unfortunately, the NCAA uh, is judging him uh, in a sense because of 
his transfer history. Uh, when in actuality, you know, things happen in life, and those things have led Joe to come back to VCU. And unfortunately, from the outside looking in, it just doesn't appear that way. Yeah, this story broke yesterday on my show, and I was very upset by the NCAA's decision. It just appears, like he said, from an outsider perspective, I am another collegiate student-athlete moving from school to school. That's not the case in reality. And it feels like the NCAA didn't do enough research into this situation. It, that's likely. They have, with, with the transfer portal being as open and as the, the wild, wild west that it is, uh, I imagine that they're reading things on a surface level. There's a lot of people, especially even in football and basketball, that are being denied. Um, you would think that Joe wouldn't be or fit the typical situation. Um, however, that's just how they viewed it. Now, can VCU go back and impill it again? I'm not really sure. I don't know the next steps, um, but I will be checking in with some of the coaches to see what they think. Yeah, I've been looking into this situation. Uh, Zach Joaquim of the Richmond Times-Dispatch told me that Ed McLaughlin, the athletic director for VCU, will be making a public statement at 3 p.m. I believe Ryan Odom will address it as well on the coaches' show. And here's what I want to say is that everybody in town has Joe Bamisil's back. Right. right. And, and the fact that he wants to play for VCU, we love that, and we want to make it happen. And so if the NCAA is smart, they will take a closer look at this situation and change their decision because it's just so frustrating because of the fact that I feel like they're holding a student-athlete back, but yet all they're looking at is dollar signs. You know, my whole take yesterday was the NCAA does not care about their student-athletes. They care about the amount of eyes that will be on their nationally televised games. And VCU has 20 of those this season. And that's all they care about. I mean, I would 1,000% agree that they care about the bottom line more so than anything else, period. Mm-hmm. Um, they've shown that uh, the only reason the NIL came about is because now kids are going overseas to play ball and now there's uh, the, o- the OTE League or the G League that, right. that, that high school players can have access to to go get paid. If they didn't change, they'll be left behind. Their dollar sign, the bottom line, w- w- would be affected. So, boom, now you have the NIL. So to say that they're going to be moved by anything else other than the dollar sign would be naive for someone to think. I, I totally agree. So had, had you ever dealt with anything similar to this? Throughout your time at VCU, did you ever deal with a guy trying to transfer in or out and he got denied? No. 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 I think the closest thing we had was uh, a situation with Jamie Skeen trying to get in. Um, and I don't want to. I don't want to dive into that too much. <laughs> but uh, I think the closest thing we had was Jamie Skeen trying to get into VCU, and it was a little bit of a struggle or something like that. But it ended up working out. I have not experienced a player trying or attempting to play for VCU and being denied by the NCAA. It's a frustrating situation. If you want to chime in or if you have a question for Ed Nixon, it's 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. Is there anything else you'd want to say about the Joe Bamisil situation before we move on? I, I just want to uh, tell him to keep his head up. Yeah. Um, I know dealing with a, a parent, the parent's health can be very serious. Um, he's already dealing with mental health issues. Uh, hopefully he's getting help for that as well. Yeah, and he um, mentioned that in his post. And and I love how he's be so, being so open about that. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, apparently, Joe Joe is a is a guy that will read two books a week. Wow. Um, he he is very astute, and he's um, a very different kid. He's very mature for his age. So um, with all that, with all this going on swirling, I just I just wish him the best. Uh, thoughts and prayers to him.
I totally agree. So you've been able to stop down, stop by the BDC and see the new look Rams practicing, and this is another reason why this this situation with Joe is being heightened in my mind because the Rams are trying to replace their entire starting five. Right. For a, a team that won the A10 championship and would have <laughs> been a top ten ranked team. Mike Rhodes moves on. The starting five moves on. Some of them with him. So you've been able to see some of the new look guys at the BDC. What do you think? Absolutely. We have a very unique situation here at VCU uh, this year with, I want to say, eight new players, uh, two being, you know, Shugla and uh, Barristow. Barristow from, from Utah State. Both of them are very experienced with, with Coach O. Uh, they know the system. So they've been very helpful with bringing guys along and helping them learn the system and what Coach O is expecting. Uh, and another thing that kind of ties in with Joe, Joe's situation. If Joe can't go, say say we appeal, they say no still. The good thing is we have a very deep roster. Yep. And not only is this roster a deep roster, all the guys on this team have something to prove. Outside of the two Utah State transfers, everyone else, look at uh, Zeb Jackson. Mm-hmm. Zeb Jackson is a McDonald's All-American all almost. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. He he went to Mount Verdon, went to Michigan, and he tried to get his footing back into in college basketball last year. Did a pretty good job. He's looking to take a step. Look at the transfer from Richmond. He's coming over to VCU looking for a new start. Jason Nelson. Jason Nelson. Look at What about Michael Fats. Bell? Look at, well, let, me, let me say this about Fats. Yeah, Fats yeah. is a homegrown talent. Prestige, he has prestige, prestige player, didn't really get to touch the court last year, had a couple injuries, didn't really get to, to find his, his rhythm. He is looking to get some playing time. He has a lot of family and friends around Richmond that really want to see him go out and do do well on the court. I know he's fighting hard, and Barristow is going to push him to be a great player. Now, Michael Bell is a raw talent to me. I've right. seen him do things. He's the guy I don't know much about. He's... Six seven six six, freshman, the body of a NBA player already, um, huge hands. His natural ability is going to get him on the court already. He's defensively talented. I don't doubt that he'll he'll find himself in late game situations strictly because his rebounding and defensive ability. It's Ed Nixon hanging out with us here on the new sports radio nine ten the fan now at one hundred five one FM. If you want to chime in, phone lines are open 833-804-0910. That's 833-804-0910. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for VCU basketball. Every game can be heard right here on 910 The Fan. And Got Ed Nixon hanging out with us. I hope you're going to be back on TV this year because that's where you shine. Thank I mean, you. I think you're good on radio, but but you got a face for TV, unlike Thank me. You. You I know? appreciate it. Nobody I, I, wants to see this double chin. It's the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And joining us on the Hadeen Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline right now is the VCU basketball beat reporter at the Richmond Times-Dispatch, Zach Joaquin. What's going on, Zach? Ed and Adam, what's up, guys? Thanks so much for having me on. How are you all today? We're doing pretty good. Doing good. So give us give us your take on the Joe Bamisil situation and if you've heard any more news since it broke yesterday. Well, look, I think everyone in the VCU basketball community was disappointed. Um, everyone wanted to see Joe 
suit up this year, um, given what he's done in the A-10. Um, I think he had a chance to be a, a prominent contributor, if not a starter, for this team this year. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I can't really comment on the, how I feel about the ruling. Um, but the thing that stood out to me yesterday was, was really Joe's bravery um, in sharing some struggles that were really personal in his Instagram post um, and opening up about what he's been through and what his family has been through. Cause I think so much of the time in, in this age of college athletics, right? Like, like Joe said in his post, people see it from the outside and they see so many transfers and they see the mobility of rosters this year. And, um, and, and since the pandemic in the few years stemming from it um, and they rush to judgments, I think about players decisions and, and jumping from different teams. And when you really see underneath the surface what's going on um for an individual athlete and everything that they've been through been through personally um his father's health issues his own mental health struggles um i thought it was really brave of joe to open up about that it's important right for for college athletes um in this day and age to be able to discuss things like that and so i admired him coming out and opening up like he did um and i think it was important for everyone to see that perspective but perhaps not for people in the vcu basketball community who know joe um and, and who know his story, but for people from the outside looking in, because this has garnered some, some national attention here. I think I saw Jay Billis tweeting about it yesterday, yep. you know, um, and, and I think it was important for people in the national sphere to, to see Joe open up a little bit um, and see what he's been through um, because college athletes are people um, and it's, you know, a business a lot of the time. And so I think people look at this on surface level and don't think of, of student athletes as people. And so, I appreciated Joe opening up and think it was important for everyone in the national conversation to have that perspective on what student athletes can go through on a day-to-day basis and why decisions like being at your fourth school in a few years are made. So where are we at now? What's the next step in the uh, appeal process if Joe wants the NCAA to take a closer look at this? And do you expect VCU to make a public statement? I do. I do this afternoon. I think VCU Athletics uh, AD Ed McLaughlin is going to make a comment this afternoon. I know Ryan is going to discuss it on the coach's show. Um, uh, going forward, I know Joe called it an egregious and disappointing ruling. He's obviously going to appeal. Appeal. I'm not sure what the timetable for that is. And I think that that in this process, a lot of the time, is the frustrating aspects from an administrative standpoint, right? I mean, it's September, you know, and, and in the age of roster mobility and, and how much turnover you've gotten, VCU is obviously a great example of that this offseason. I mean, people around the team need to know what their roster is going to look like going into the year. And so for a decision like this to come down midway through September, when you learn that you're not going to have a guy that you'd hope could be a really prominent contributor, that's difficult to adjust to. Right. And so uh, I think that they would hope for some sort of immediate decision from the NCAA, but to my understanding, that's part of the frustration with this process is there's, there's not a whole lot of communication and a whole lot of clarity in terms of a timetable a lot of the time. And, and my impression is that that was the case here. Okay. So, just I need I need to know, do you know the criteria that they judge off whether they will approve a transfer or disapprove of one? That's the big question. Um, I think everyone's trying to figure that out right now. I think that it's changed over the last few years, right? And I think that's a big part of the frustration with this process is that it feels like a moving target yeah. to a lot of student athletes and, and, and to a lot of programs. The NCAA was very lenient about multiple-time transfers amid the pandemic era. And, and that made all the sense in the world when, when you had kids changing programs and, and the shortened season and the extra years of eligibility and stuff. But now they're saying as we get further away from the pandemic era of college athletics that they want to, to kind of crack down and, and be less lenient on things like this. But they've still said that they wanted to take 
factors into account, like moving closer to home, um, like a player who's, who's dealt with personal struggles, like a player who's dealing with family health struggles. And so I think that that's the confounding part about this decision is it feels like Joe's situation checked so many of those boxes that they've said that, that they would of factors that they would take into account. Yeah. And so I think that's the main source of the frustration here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an NCAA issue that the NCAA put on themselves. You know, it, it became the wild, wild west with the NIL and the transfer portal and the amount of money that was going on in college basketball. And yet VCU was like a free bull, running around, knocking <laughs> people over, winning championships. And now they're trying to rein us in in a year where it should be impossible. I mean, seriously, VCU should have so much leeway because of the fact that they were dealing with a new coaching staff and basically a, a new starting lineup uh it's michael uh it's ed nixon awad here and zach joaquin we got a new show 10 to noon with michael phillips i know he was your uh, former co-worker mp on the mic 10 to noon and he started his show with an interesting take and i don't agree with him but here's what he said which was joe bamis's appeal the denial is actually best for vcu and college basketball in the long term because it is the wild, wild west, and nobody understands their rules. I think some more clarity would certainly be appreciated. Um, I, I, you know, I admire Michael a great deal. I guess I'd, I'd push back on that a little bit um, in terms of it, it being an immediate good thing for VCU. Because, look, you already had some roster adjustments that, that Ryan's had to make, right, with losing Jacob Patrick, um, who's a, the, the young recruit from Germany um, who spent a little bit of time over at VCU and then ended up going back to his home country. And so you're short uh, a couple of roster spots perhaps for this season now that you'd hoped would be filled with guys who could contribute right off the bat. And so I think Ryan's probably going to have to move some pieces around and the rotation might be shorter this season than, than he'd anticipated that he'd planned for with some younger guys uh, getting some more play. And so in the short term, I, I don't think it's the best thing, although obviously it doesn't hopefully long-term limit the time that Joe has with the program. He's still got a couple of years of eligibility, including his COVID year. Um, and so when he gets a chance to suit up next season, if the appeal is denied, then hopefully he can contribute in the same way everyone had hoped that he could. This year, uh, I agree with Michael from the standpoint of we need more clarity, for sure. And the NCAA needs to kind of stop going back and forth in terms of it saying, well, we're going to be less lenient, but we're going to take these factors into account. And that's a little contradictory. And so in terms of the mixed messaging from the NCAA, I certainly agree with them that you'd like them to take more of a hard line one way or the other. And Ed, you were saying both things could be right. Yes, I, I would have to piggyback off what you're saying here. And I, I, I agree with Michael that, you know, it could be beneficial down the line. So moving forward, VCU won't be in a, in a situation where they need to replace a whole team. Right. You, you know what I mean? However, in the short term, with Joe not being able to play and, and them just now getting around to saying that, hey, you're not going to be able to play. I mean, well, you kind of hurt VCU because they could have went out and got somebody else. Right. You know what I mean? We had two extra roster spots or scholarships uh, that we could have offered. They'd be like, no, we're good. We have what we need. However, now with this appeal or with this decision, mm -hmm. it kind of puts VCU in a, in a tight spot. However, for VCU, I just like to add again, a lot of these guys want to get on the court, yeah. a lot of these guys want to play. So it's beneficial to VCU in this sense that now the competitiveness of these practices and the competitiveness amongst the team is going to be heightened because they know there's going to be X amount of minutes available that people want to get to. Right, and that's why I, I do agree with him in the long term. Look, it sucks for this season, and that's why I don't completely agree with him. It's BS. It's another typical NCAA decision where they don't care about the players, just the dollar, dollar, dollar. But VCU is on a national level, 
And a, a rule change would prevent people from going to VCU, balling out, and then saying, I'm going to the SEC. I'm going to make millions of dollars. I'm going to the ACC. I'm going to the Big Ten. And so from that perspective, I do agree in the long term, it should be good for the Rams. I agree. Yeah. And what I will say is this. If you're balling out and you can make $800,000, be my guest. I, I Look, <laughs> I, I am I am team make your money. Yeah. No matter what, I understand that you know VCU is where we are. We're a high mid-major, high, high mid-major school. However, if somebody's offering you two hundred thousand, four hundred thousand to play basketball in college, I remember having to struggle to get some pizza. Shout out to a stream pizza that no longer exists. Deirdre, you my guy. <laughs> however, however, make your money. I'm team make your money. Oh man. Hey Zach, great stuff, man. We're running out of time here, but uh real quick, thirty seconds or less here. Give me some of the best high school football games we've got going on this weekend. Collegiate at Douglas Freeman tonight. BHSL and BISAA matchups are always hard to come by. That one's going to be really fun. Cougars quarterback Jack Callahan uh, threw six touchdown passes and went over Goochland a couple of weeks ago. He's had a really hot start to the year. Excited to see what he can do against a really strong Douglas Freeman uh, defense. That one's tonight. And then Glenn Allen at Thomas Dale on Friday. Uh, Jaguars are undefeated 3-0 and going to face one of the area's strongest programs. Uh, the, uh, the Knights are number four in our ranking. Ethan Minter is their quarterback. He's a UBA recruit. It's going to be really fun to see what, uh, what Perry Jones and his Jaguars can do in a really tough test at Dale. Uh, Manchester at Midlothian is the one I'm covering Friday night. I'm super excited for that. That's a rematch of our game of the year last year. It was a 31-30 Manchester victory in double overtime. Lancers have uh, defensive end Mackay Byerson, who's a West Virginia recruit, one of the best talents around. I'm really excited to see him and to go to Midlow for one of the best atmospheres in the area at Poach Stadium. That one's yep. going to be a lot that's of fun. Our, that's our game of the week can be heard on 96.1 with Coach Gary Criswell and Gary Hess. Follow Zach on social media at Zach Joachim and read his work, Richmond.com. Thanks a lot, dude. Of course. Thank you, guys. Ed and Adam, stay well, fellas. Yep, Ed. Thank you. Good stuff stopping by, man. Great no segment. Problem. Thank you for having me. Yep, appreciate it. You're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan.